Happy Easter. I'm really excited. I challenged myself to only be up there during Lent, and I'm so glad to be back down here so I can move around, because you know me, and I uh, drink lots of coffee, so I got to move. This is the greatest day in the history of all existence. It is. Whether you know it or not, it's not Thanksgiving. Okay, we stuffed ourselves downstairs earlier. Uh, but I don't get the nap yet. But uh, Thanksgiving's not the greatest day. July 4th, it's a fun day. Not the greatest day. Christmas, not the greatest day. Easter is the greatest day. You may argue with me about Christmas, but Christmas wouldn't mean much if we didn't have Easter. This is what it's all been coming to. Our story, all of existence. And our fourth gospel writer, uh, we call the gospel John, he just has been... weaving in the story of creation all through the gospel, and it's to try to wake us up to something. How many of you know the story of Anne Sullivan? that name familiar? And why do we know Anne Sullivan? Who, who did she work with? Helen Keller. How many of you know the name Helen Keller? All right, Helen Keller, who could not see, she could not hear, she could not speak. And Anne Sullivan was sent to help her. I mean, how do you do that? How do you communicate with somebody who can't hear you and can't see you? How do you even explain how words work? We call Ann Sullivan the miracle worker because somehow she was able to make that connection. For, for a great deal of time, she gave Helen Keller words that she could feel using shapes in her hands. And she gave her the words over and over again, but Helen was unable to make the connection until one day... She ran her hands under water, as the story goes, and she had some sort of memory from when she was very young and remembered what that was, and she spoke the, the word, water, in the way that she could, and then she started to make sense of the shapes that Anne then immediately placed on her hand, under the water, in her hand, under the water, until she finally connected it and was able to communicate and make sense of everything that she'd been experiencing for a long time. She'd experienced it and experienced it, and suddenly it made sense. And it opened up a whole new world to Helen Keller. And she was able to contribute quite a bit to our world. We tell her story to be inspired. Uh, She had lots of great things to say. She just had no idea what it was to speak and how to get it out. We begin the Gospel of John. you got to approach it in the same way. We are trying to be told something that we've heard the words our whole life, but we just sometimes don't make the connection. We have this, you know, so this is my Bible. Uh, the gospel start about here. And we have all this, and we've heard it, and it made sense to people at the time, and it says something to them now, and we can read it and get, get what we need, but at the whole time there's this grander story leading up, and the whole time people have heard it, and they're not making sense, and they have Jesus right there with them, And no one seemed seeming to put it together. He shares the last meal we celebrated on Thursday. Then he was put on the cross and then he rises. And it seems at this moment, the lights went on. And people started to make sense of everything they'd looked back on. And they spent, the disciples spent 40 days probably just, oh, hey, remember when he said this? Remember when he did that? I get it. And they had a whole new message to share that they had no idea even existed. So John gives us this in a, in a book with ink and paper. 
Have you ever, how many of you tried to communicate with somebody via text and it didn't go very well? Uh, they misunderstood you. The gospel writer is very limited with ink on page. How do you tell the story of Jesus? I'm glad I was not asked to do this. And the writer had help. He begins the whole gospel with the words, in the beginning was the word. I'm not going to do the whole thing. All right, don't worry. But he takes us back. In the beginning. Where have you heard that before? Genesis, right? Way back here. That's the first words of our scripture. John takes us all the way back because he has to take us all the way back to help us make sense of what it is we're seeing, the stuff that's in our hands that we just can't quite make sense of. The creation poem starts in the beginning. Seven days, right? Seven days. Genesis 2, the second creation story, it's centered around humanity being brought to life in a garden. How many of you know this story? The very breath of God is breathed into this human being that is formed from the dirt. What was lifeless was brought to life in the garden. This is how this story begins. I'm not going to go through the rest of it, okay? We're going to go to John. Um, but the gospel writer has to take us back so that we can make sense of where we are. Sometimes it's that way in life, talking to some parents and talking about how when they were teenagers, they just didn't quite get what their parents were up to. But now they do when their kids are teenagers, right? And you're making sense of things looking back. So John gives us Jesus in this way to look back. Uh, in Genesis 1, there were six days completed before what happened on the seventh day? God rested. And there was no end to the seventh day if you read the poem. Each other day ended. The creation week, the week was not completed. Heaven and earth were completed, but the week was not. If it were to be completed, that would mean something new is beginning. Hebrews use numbers, and seven means it's done, it's perfect, it's over, it's, it's no longer going to change, and we're on to something new. So the seventh day never ended. It's strange to us. It might feel like shapes in our hands we can't quite make sense of. Jesus has given us seven signs in the Gospel of John. Seven signs. That number sound familiar. Water into wine. Healing the royal official's son in Capernaum. Healing the paralytic in Bethesda. Feeding the 5,000. Walking on water. Healing the blind man and raising Lazarus from the dead. There was one more sign, wasn't there? Anyone know what it is? It's Easter. It's a hint. What happened on Easter? Come on, what happened? He rose, Christ rose, an eighth sign. And what time did this take place? Well, if we go to John, we'll see. Um, I'll read it in a moment. But know that as we enter Holy Week, we come into Jerusalem, and it was on the sixth day of the week that Jesus was crucified, and he uttered the words, it is completed. It was on the sixth day of creation that we find that God says heaven and earth are completed. And the seventh day there was rest for God, and on the seventh day of Holy Week... Jesus was in the tomb, the world was dark and still, and everything was at rest. And Jesus was in a garden tomb, a lifeless man in a garden. Are you seeing this? It's pretty cool. So then John gives us this incredible line from chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. He says, early in the morning of the first day 
of the week, the eighth day, not the eighth day, day one of a new week. We're given the eighth sign on the first day of a new week. So this eighth sign is actually sign number one of a new series of signs. This is what the gospel writer is trying to tell us. The resurrection of Jesus, what was lifeless, is given life in a garden. And so I'll read now. Early in the morning of the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus might rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? She replied, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they put him. As soon as she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. It's the word of God for the people of God. Come on, this is exciting, right? This is exciting. This is, this is what we've been waiting for. We just didn't know we were waiting for it. Some of us sitting here don't realize what has happened. We know the story. We felt the shape in our hands our whole lives. It just, we, don't, we haven't connected it yet, and that's okay. There's so much here. We find great detail in this passage found to how they discovered the linen cloths, which seems strange, doesn't it? The whole point is they knew that he wasn't stolen because you wouldn't unwrap the body that was stolen. And even if you did unwrap it, you wouldn't fold it and place it nicely in two separate spots the way that they did. 
what they saw was he was not stolen. The disciple with Peter says in verse 8, he saw and believed. That's some, that's some great faith. Once the evidence shows that no one stole the body, the disciple, knowing Jesus was the Messiah, believes that he actually was the resurrection and the life, that he said he was. This disciple was the first true believer. It always says this was the disciple that Jesus loved. We don't know who it was. We don't know his name. It always says the disciple whom Jesus loved. Traditionally, people think it's John because we have the gospel that we have named John. But many people believe this disciple represents each of us, that we are all in the story. We are all loved by God, and we are all urged to see and believe. Now, when we believe, we find no reason to be in fear, right? When you believe Jesus has risen, what, are, what could you be afraid of? No more sadness, no more anxiety, no worry, no doubt, no more living bound up by all the stuff we tie ourselves down with in this world. When you believe in the resurrection, it changes everything. The story is what makes our faith unique. Resurrection. This is the point the gospel writer is trying to communicate. Believe. When Jesus emerged from the tomb in the garden on the first day of the new week, everything changed. All of creation, every person, everything, all. God's new creation his new world, God's new kingdom, God's reign was ushered in at that moment. We're not waiting for it to happen. It's already started. We're waiting for it to be completed to where there's no more of the old world left, but we're in the midst of that birthing right now. The reign of God burst forth from that tomb, not just for Jesus, but for all of us who believe. We witness the change that this realization brings when we find Mary. God bless Mary weeping. I, I, I've never understood it. The disciples get there, they see the linen cloths, and they just go back to where they were. I'd have a little more question. I'd be like lifting stuff up. You know, Mary stays and weeps outside of the tomb. She sees angels, but she's so sad, she doesn't realize what she's seeing. The shape's right there in her hand, and she cannot make the connection. She stares at Jesus and doesn't recognize him. Her unbelief blinds her to the heaven reality that's standing right there in the world. Heavenly life is moving and being within feet of her. She could touch them, and she has no idea. How many of you feel a bit like Mary sometimes? You just want to know, where are you, God? God's there. We just sometimes don't see but Jesus, Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus speaks her name, and the children of Jesus recognize Jesus' voice, and Mary recognizes Jesus. Her sadness is immediately gone. She's changed. Now, she kind of freaks out a bit and like runs to grab him, and he says, whoa, 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 don't, don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me. 
she's no longer bound by the sadness and she's ready to bind Jesus. It's kind of the spiritual thing. Don't hang on to me like you're never going to let me go because I have something I need to do today. I'm going to ascend to the Father and I'll be back. So go tell your brothers and sisters that I'm going to my God and your God, to my Father and your Father. This is the most critical line. I'll repeat it. Verse 17, go to my brothers and sisters and tell them I'm going up to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Between this scene and the next uh, the idea is that this is all on the first day of the new week, Easter day. Jesus goes to God right then and there and comes back later in the evening and stands before the disciples. And at that moment when he comes back, he gives them the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But that brings them into the same relationship with God as Jesus was in relationship with God. The exact same relationship. That's what the resurrection means. We are in the same relationship with God as Jesus was. Can you believe that? Are you having trouble? It's pretty big stuff. Yet we see Jesus, for the first time in the gospel, refers to the followers as brothers and sisters, family. One Father, one God. For the gospel writer, Jesus being glorified, exalted, it's, it's the cross, it's the tomb, and it's ascending all one. That's all what Jesus was doing. Um, so anytime you, see, you hear that word, that's all one action. We just tell it in our linear, but it's all one thing. Jesus ascends up onto the cross, ascends out of the tomb, and ascends to the Father, and all of this to announce that we can be children of God, which was the whole point of coming in the first place. Go back to the beginning of John, and you'll find that was the whole point of Jesus coming in the first place. Humanity. Lifeless sometimes, aren't we? We will be given divine breath, this time from God's self through Jesus. Jesus now regards you as brother and sister, if you believe. We receive the Holy Spirit when we see and believe in the resurrection. When we then receive life in this new creation, in this new kingdom, in the new reign, the new heaven and the new earth, which exists right here and right now. Jesus gives us new life. Resurrection that we may live unbound by the worries, the anxieties, the fears, the sadness, the doubt, the pride, the anger, which runs rampant in our world and in our lives. Today is Easter, and we celebrate the greatest day in the history of all existence. We hear of the new week beginning in the garden through Jesus. Believe. Believe and allow this knowledge to be the foundation upon which you live each moment of your life. And when you do that, you will no longer be bound by all the stuff that weighs you down right now. Doesn't mean that stuff's going to go away because we've got to deal with consequences, darn it. But we have God on our side and we will. We will receive the divine breath that we might have life eternally with God here and now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.